Hello and welcome to How Not to Die. In today's episode, we're covering cannibalism. The term was originally used to describe a Caribbean tribe that ate their own enemies, though history now tells us this was most likely fake. But from this point onwards, cannibalism has been seen as truly horrific and savage, and this is definitely seen in the cases we're covering today of Issei Sagawa and Robert Picton. Thanks for listening. Free yourself! <laughs> Take a little beer for you and Michael because yeah. it's going to go to waste. No, he's being a fatty at the moment. That's okay. Makes you look skinnier. No, because then, do you know what? We go on holiday and you think, oh, I'm such a whale. Such a beach oh, whale. And that's it. all yeah. I hear. Yeah. I've got the same. I've got the same. Are we ready? We are ready. Let's do this. <laughs> well, it'll be last episode of the year. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy Jesus' birthday. <laughs> I got so confused the other day. <laughs> Why my Jesus? I was like, what? <laughs> it's not my birthday. I'm like, it's Jesus. But... Natalia bought me a microphone. A karaoke microphone. Yes. Yeah, I'm not yes. loud enough in the office and I'm very soft-spoken, so she felt I needed to mic. So you're bringing, you're bringing them on Friday to a Christmas party? Yeah. Everyone's going to be subject to our ridiculousness. <laughs> so what? You know what? It's end of the year. We've been through a lot to get to the stage of having this party, I yeah. think. Yes. She's put me through the ringer that Jessica... She's like her. The emails while I was away. Oh, she just couldn't get over it. Nah. Anyway, she's my got the rice and she's, she's going to charge Turns out we pay for the rice for Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're all good now. We're here. It's all sorted. Nearly there. Then you're off on holiday. You're off on holiday. Yeah. I've been on holiday. <laughs> yeah, you went in at such a weird time. Yeah. Well, it just kind of aligned with my birthday. I think because when you got back to, because all of us have just been working, everyone's just like, uh, <laughs> all like uh, I just want to go on holidays and stuff. We're just like, mm, it's one more week. Like a balloon. Yeah. It's like the sad things in the corner. Yeah. Like, uh. <laughs> we were. They were like, oh. we were. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So when we get back, you'll be like, uh. yeah. yeah. And I'll be like, woo. You always get a little bit tan too. Sorry. Good. That would be Amanda because I'm next for facts, which means I go last. Hey, I do know what's happening. <laughs> taking us a whole year. No, 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 no. It's it's we're we're doing cannibalism. We are doing cannibalism and it's episode 15. Is it? It is. Who'd have thought it would last this long? I have to tell you, the end of the year, we're like, oh, like that balloon. It's still that balloon. I thought we in all aspects. Hopefully. The balloon. The balloon in the corner. Oh, that we're blown up and like, just Listen <laughs> to the beginning of this podcast and you'll remember. Yeah. A bit deflated. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry. 2019 will be will be re-energised with Jeez, tans. It'll be so months to the next one, won't it? I'm not sure about that. So don't miss us too much, guys. I'm so – I've got no podcast to listen to at the moment. Everything's boring me. Have it's you listened medicine. to the Bear Brooks? I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, That's it. It's dry. Well, listen to our podcast. That's my problem. Would you like to take it away with your story? Okay. We're going to travel to Japan for my one. And there's going to be some weird names that I can't pronounce. So I feel like his name's pronounced Issei. Issei? Issei Sagawa. Issei. But he, he's also known as Pang, so I'm just going to call him Pang. Is this the one that Emma told me to do? It could be. Yeah. Did he only kill one person? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do it, so. <laughs> okay. Like have you me not listening to Emma. Have you actually <laughs> read about him? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so Pang, he was born in 1949 in Kobe, 
Japan to wealthy parents. Uh, he was born prematurely and was small enough to fit into his little daddy's hand. Um, he de- he developed uh, enteritis, uh, which is the disease of the small bowel. However, he so gastro enteritis. Nutrition fact in there. So he made a full recovery, um, but it still had like an impact on like his physical appearance. So he was quite short. He was only like four foot nine inches and he had like very small. Yeah. So um, he he had very small hands. So he felt physically inadequate. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't become a carny though. (laughs) Isay, Isay, Isay. You kind of have to decide. Pang. Let's call him Pang. Pang says his first... On his name. Yeah. As you spit cherries out. <laughs> Cherry you like, Could you not have said your sentence? I know. I just <laughs> wanted to talk while you were spitting stuff out. Don't worry. I've got a lot more cherries to go. Look how big these damn cherries are. That's what GMOs do. Oh, well. Apparently after I read... I. I listen to my podcast on FX Medicine about, like, foreign objects inserted in your body. <laughs> I'm thinking this can't hurt me. <laughs> really. Try and eat it in one mouthful. No. <laughs> I, can't, I probably could. So Hang says he first developed his desire for cannibalism in the first grade. Um, so according to a 2011 interview, he said this was after seeing a male classmate's thigh and thought, hmm, mm, that looks delicious. Well, it could either go either way, couldn't you? Cannibalism or kind of like, homosexuality. Yeah, you're wondering if you're gay and you're like, okay, don't no, be gay. No, rather in him. I'm not having gay no, Well, yeah. no, he, he's, he kind of also said, I'm not a homosexual. Like, he did not think he was homosexual. He, it was all about the flesh. So he also blamed Western media's representation of women like Grace Kelly for sparking his interest in cannibalism mm-hmm. fantasies. Yeah. Because it was almost like a sexual desire to him. Like, it was almost like equivalent to that. So... But instead of, like, you know, bedding women, he desired to just eat them. Like, he just wanted to eat beautiful <laughs> women. It was never – and he said that it was never about killing them. It was about gnawing on their flesh. Yeah, not about killing. Just, just want to make it very clear. <laughs> like, just a nibble on the flesh. Why you just have a stay? <laughs> because not it had to be same. human. It's She's not a not thigh. Just like Grace Kelly. <laughs> the steak doesn't wear a beautiful hat. Especially <laughs> the legs. You can look quite nice. For the leg of a cow. That's what they do in New Zealand. <laughs> we drove past a lot of brothels in New Zealand. Oh, really? It's just sheep farms. Oh, right. <laughs> well, to hang whenever you in. whenever you drive past a sheep farm, Alex was like, "Oh, look a brothel." But isn't that Tasmania where they fuck sheep? <laughs> no, the New Zealanders are meant to be sheep targets. <laughs> I'm just totally disgusted. Anyway, <laughs> says the person who's right I didn't say anything about Ireland. Then I'm Ireland. Are you okay on that ball? Are you farting? <laughs> no, <laughs> you know I'm It's okay if you are. No, it wouldn't be. <laughs> it wouldn't be. It is just Silent a natural be. human. Uh, you got to hold them in a work. Well, or remove yourself from company. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Sometimes you just go outside for a smoke or something, even if you don't smoke. Anyway. Anyway. Um, well, I'm sure Pang didn't – maybe he didn't get the desire to fart when he ate human flesh. I don't know. But when he was 23, he followed a woman home and broke into her apartment. Um, and so while she was sleeping, he teared a small 
part of her flesh off. I don't know how, but he says, like, he tried to, like, pull off her flesh and, like, try to run away with it, but the woman woke up and pushed him away. <laughs> she woke up. God damn. He was captured. <laughs> Um, he was captured by police and was charged with attempted rape and he never admitted to what his true intentions were was to like eat her. <laughs> like was just like, Yeah, I'll take that. She didn't know what he really wanted. Yeah. Then at age twenty seven, Peng moved to France to pursue a PhD in comparative literature in Paris. Um, he later claimed that almost every night he would bring a prostitute home and then try to shoot them, but his fingers always froze up and he couldn't do it. As time went on, he became... I he had sex with them anyway. I think in the article I read, he didn't. Like, it was more, he'd get them over, then once they had their back turned on him, he would pull out a gun, and then he just couldn't ever shoot them, and hmm. they did it. An idol for the prostitutes. <laughs> they've got fame still. Yeah, I guess they would Because <clears throat> then they get their pimps on you. <clears throat> Do all prostitutes have pimps? I don't know. Oh, we're not You'd like to have your own business, wouldn't you? I think they would. I think someone would just own you on the street. Uh, a bordo. Uh, is, what is it? A bordo? But a deal? A dello? I don't know. Is it a wine? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a dello. It's a wine. Like a stab. It's just like a stab. Well, what is a stupid name for a wine? What, Bedello or Sav? No, it's like Savignon Blanc. Blanc. <laughs> Strange. Who wants to say that? Savignon Blanc. Blanc. Um, so as time went on and he said it, was less, um, it became less about wanting to eat women but more an obsession with the ritual and trying to kill a girl no matter what. So, oh, so now he wants to kill them, not eat them. So it was like a ritual for him to kind of do this like every night. So, But he didn't do anything. I know, but it was he like, oh, talk, this one. He fantasized and he wanked in the corner. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he ate like raw chicken. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Gollum in the corner. He ate cow in lingerie in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Some people are so weird. Maybe just, yeah, maybe just that chicken up in, like, oh, yuck. <laughs> okay, so. I'd rather Peng, do raw meat than raw chicken, huh? What do you mean? Eat? Like, raw, raw, raw meat. Like, yeah, yeah, well, beef. not about safety, but I think it would be more palatable. Than like sashimi. Yeah, I couldn't do chicken. But it's just mentioning. Sashimi is fish, isn't it? What? Yeah. Isn't it? No, I wouldn't do raw fish either. But that's sushi. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't eat raw it's sushi. Right? No. Okay. I go the Aussie. Crab. Crab. <laughs> like chicken. Crab. 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 Renee. You can just make up names. Um, so he invited her to help him uh, learn German because Renee was also German. Uh, whilst Renee had her back turned, he retrieved the gun, um, but he couldn't shoot her. Unfortunately, Renee didn't know what was going Like, she didn't realise what had happened. I think she was at, like, a textbook or something. So she agreed to then come over the next night um, and help Pang um, in translating poetry from the assignment. Um, so the reason why he picked Renee was due to her characteristics of being very healthy and beautiful, things he thought he lacked, and he wanted to absorb Renee's energy mm. and beauty by eating her. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned that he also liked the fact that she was not French, but she was German and she was also Jewish, 
and not most not like most other European women with uh, she had, sure. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she had like slightly darker skin as well so you wouldn't be safe Natalia no. but I'm not Jewish <laughs> you're off the face <laughs> it's just would be different no, no. Not Jesus um, is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. The very naughty boy. Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, once again, she had, like, she was over there the next night. She had her back turned. Um, she was washing her hands this time, and Peng pulled the trigger, um, shooting her in the neck, and she died instantly. Oh, that's good. Um, Peng claimed he, he fainted and thought about calling the ambulance, but he decided not to because he'd been waiting for this moment for 30 minutes. He took a course as well. Like, yeah, he yeah. sounds like it, doesn't he? He then decided to rape Renee's dead body, but he could not bring himself, he could not bring himself uh, to bite her. Um, So he left the apartment to buy a butcher's knife to cut her up instead. So I think his original plan was just to kind of, you know, gnaw her bones. Yeah. (laughs) So when he returned, he cut into her buttocks. And when he came, he said that there was a lot of fat on the buttocks. And when oh, he came... Fat shaming and poor cat's dead. <laughs> <laughs> when he came to the red meat part, he, like, instantly just kind of ripped a piece off and, like, threw it in his mouth and started chewing on it. Um, so he said it was a historical experience for him. Um, so over the next two days, he ate various parts of Renee's body and refrigerating others. Uh, saying his only re- regret was not eating her while she was alive. I wonder what oh. he tastes like. Well, <laughs> uh, I tell you too. Yeah, he hate he ate he hated he ate her body mostly raw, um, and said he ended up with a sore jaw from eating her. Like yeah, because it was really tough. It, yeah. Um, when he asked to describe the experience, he said that human meat was the tastiest tastiest of all types of meat. It is odorless with uh, no gamey smell, but certain parts did have a smell, such as the bottom of her feet. Um, oh, of course. And her clitoris right because now. she had her period. Oh. Yeah. He ate that. He ate that as well, by the way. Like he said, he just swallowed that without chewing because it smelled. Yeah. There's a bit in mind that I was like, oh, this is gross, but you've just taken the cake, so it's fine. He said the older the meat became over the couple of days, the more sweeter it became. Oh. And he said the higher he went up Renee's body, the more delicate it tasted with the neck and tongue tasting the best. Did he have a job? Uh, yes, he, I think, oh, well, he was a student at the time. He was doing a PhD. Skipped a few classes. <laughs> a few days and just had a body eating. An eating binge session. Did he a whole body? Almost. So, um, I didn't realise. I thought he only ate a little bit of her. No, it was quite a bit. And he said that, like, her her neck and her tongue didn't really have much meat on them, so... Um, How hungry could he have been? Well, he said if he wanted to have a feast that we should start eating, like, he recommended to people if you want to have a feast, eat the thighs. What he he did have a bit of. I did actually accidentally click on a picture of what was left of her. Are you serious? Yeah. Do you have it here? No. It was a bit too gruesome. Uh, I got some photos on your thing. Yep. So like one of her breasts had been cut uh, off. Um, her tongue had been taken out. Like he just ripped it out and ate it raw. And there was no no legs, like it was like virtually from the waist up, and then there was like bit like her bones. Yeah, like so I don't know what he did with the bones, but like on the picture there was nothing from the waist down. Oh, and you saw that as a police officer, like. Well, Peng then tried to dispose of the remainder of her body by dumping it into the boys the 
Blue sir belong. Sounds right, yeah. The billabong. The billabong is a body of water. <laughs> so he uh, he took a taxi. And there's a cooler tree. <laughs> How does the song go? It was like me. Staring and watched and waited till the day before. Will you come waltzing Matilda with me? Waltzing Matilda. Natalia's church boy. Natalia's church singing. You come waltzing Matilda with me. And sang and he watched and waited till the day before. Isn't it waited by the billabong? Billy is a little kettle. No, it's right. Billy boiled. Billy Boyle. Who's boiling Billy? You know, he's not Billy. But why is he, why no. does he have the billabong and cooler bar tree? He's having a bong. Is Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Americans would have no idea what that song is. It's Even as Australians, you find it really hard. Because I've heard them sing some songs sometimes, and I'm like, what is that song? Like their Waltzing Thanksgiving songs and stuff. Um, so he was down by the bull and pillabong. The bull and bush, I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> the Edmoga pub. <laughs> um, so he. It's not funny. Like, we always laugh about yeah, this stuff. Like, like, he ripped his poor woman's body. <laughs> I know, in the most gruesome way as well. And shoved her in a billy on a billabong. <laughs> I think she was quite young. Like, she was only like 25 or something mm-hmm. as well. And the worst bit is, she was trying to help him with an assignment. Like, that's really nice. And came over two nights in a row. I don't help anybody with an assignment. I'm busy doing my own assignment. Hence why you're alive still. That's so true. Two nights in a row. She has had a period, so she's probably a little bit yeah. normal. Trying to teach him German. Trying to, trying, <laughs> trying to, like, translate a poetry for him. Like, and geez. he shoots her and eats her. Yeah. And then makes comments about her. Yeah. Rude. So. That shames our fucking out. Rude. Having a bad day, didn't you? <laughs> He carried two suitcases, like he got a taxi from his apartment to this lake and then once he got out, several people noticed that the two suitcases he was carrying was dripping in blood. Um, so they notified the police. So the police come up to him and he like... put it in plastic bag first. He's, I don't know. Zamo. Well... You need a grenade to help him with this. I don't have that. But he just kind of wrapped it... You know when you go to like a butcher and they wrap it up in like butcher's paper? Yeah. He, he just wrapped it up in butcher's yeah, but paper. but they always put it in plastic first. Well, he just put it in butcher's paper. Yeah. <laughs> if he just put it in the plastic like a butcher's... He might have got away with that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the police kind of came up to him and the first thing he said, um, when they came up was, I killed her to eat her flesh. Like, so he virtually admitted it straight up. So. shut case. <laughs> pretty much. Or it gets interesting now because Peng's wealthy father was a lawyer and became his legal defense. Um, but Peng was held for two years awaiting a trial, but then he was, uh, declared legally insane and unfit to stand trial. Um, so the judge ordered um, that he spend the rest of his life in a mental institution. Around this time as well, Peng contracted a book deal and, he, like, he got a bit of notoriety and fame from that. So then it was also ordered that he be deported back to Japan. So once he was deported back to Japan, he was committed to the Matsuwatsa <laughs> Hospital and was evaluated by doctors. Um, and he was evaluated by doctors and psychologists uh, that he was actually sane um, and that sexual perversion was his reason for um, the crime he committed 
But because you think? <laughs> because the charges in France had been dropped, like when he got deported, the French court documents were sealed and were not released to the Japanese authority. So consequently, um, Pang could not be legally detained in Japan. So they they can't, couldn't hold a legal case against him. Um, so Pang checked himself out of hospital on the August 12, 1986, um, and he has been free ever since. Wow. Uh, he now lives in Tokyo and is free to do what he wants. So there's, like, no bail conditions, no legal requirements. Yeah. He's just allowed to come. Uh, we all need to see what he looks like just in case we come across him. I do have some photos of him. I'll show you once I'm finished. So he did find it hard to find work after eating his classmates, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, so he kind of created his own work, I suppose. Uh, he became a guest speaker, so he'd speak at, like, different oh events. my God, who hires him to talk? I think people are just fascinated. So yeah, they're the Japanese, just... they're a funny race there. They really are. <laughs> Let's get out the races. No, they're not a bit quirky. They have to be a bit quirky. Quirky. Quirky makes them good. They've got a bit of culture shock if you go there. Yeah, it's just very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... I've been, but I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I believed you then. Yeah, yeah. You're an expert in Japanese cultural affairs. How is you See? See? Swept up again. <laughs> Sake. <laughs> Sushi. <laughs> um, he became an author as well. He translated his, like, story, like, and fictionalised a little bit to soft... Uh, softcore porn movies, oh, uh, which he would star in. So he oh w- that's where he got his release. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he, oh. he got his release in starring in his own stupid movies. So in these movies, like, it would be very beautiful, sexualized women, and he would bite into the co-stars. I don't think it was necessarily sex because of softcore porn, but, yeah, it was just a bit weird. Um, and he even wrote sushi restaurant reviews for a Japanese new um, magazine as well. So um, they knew who he was and got him to, like, it wasn't that under a different name. They knew who he was to get give the reviews. Um, and he was almost accepted uh, by a French language school because the manager was impressed that he used his real name and, like, you know, the name known as being a cannibal, but the employees protested and he was not accepted. Um, in 2005, both his parents died, and for some reason he wasn't allowed to go to their funeral, maybe because they're dead bodies and people might he might eat them. He did repay all their outstanding debts, though, um, and he moved into public housing and received welfare. Oh, so now the taxpayers are funding his... Well, he, he said it was terrible punishment being awesome. forced... Um, to be um, to live as a known murderer and cannibal. That so, was awful. Yeah, he, oh. like he was complaining that you know it's not paying terrible. as good as what it was. That's before. terrible. I'm so sorry for what Chung. a disservice. <laughs> What's his name? Chung? Chen. That's not right. Pang. <laughs> <laughs> Chung. Chung. The way you looked at me. <laughs> that's not right. You're racist. Because I just watched an episode of what's it called? A Big Bang Theory, and Sheldon's mum's like. She's at a sushi restaurant. She's, she's like, oh, it's all written in Kung Fu symbols. Yeah. And they're like, you can't say that. She's like, oh, I thought the thing we couldn't say was Ching Chong. <laughs> and she's so good. She's so good. He has suffered two heart attacks and been diagnosed with diabetes and has just completed his 20th book titled Extremely Intimate Fantasies of Beautiful Women or Beautiful Girls. Uh, with images drawn by himself and other famous artists. Just a narcissist. Chicken. He he also has available on Amazon a magna... Magna? 
manga. Manga. manga comic book. Uh, for a pro- You can buy it for about $200. Um, he is now under full-time care of his brother um, since of his health woes. He says his desire to eat people becomes very t- intense around June when women start wearing less and showing more skin. Well, it's our fault. Yes. Fucking cover up. <laughs> <laughs> cover up or you might get eaten. What? <laughs> Uh, he or he he's like already kind of planned also what when he wants to eat his next person. He's too old. He's yeah, born in nineteen forty nine. How much he's gotten away with? He'll have some nutcase out there that will do it for him. <laughs> well, the, there was another story I wanted to do. I think uh, there was a cannibal who put up an ad on the online, and someone answered. Like he's like, I want to eat someone, and like described who he wants, and someone actually turned up well, and got eaten. Like, is it really murder if someone volunteers? Like, there was an episode on a TV show about that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it's out there. Well, people who want to commit suicide. So, are they murderers? Well, like, people are like, I'll kill you if you want. And they're like, okay. So, it's like, eh, is it? Uh, he, this is how he kind of, how he has it planned out. And he wants to eat another person before he dies. He said, just one more person. And then he'll be satisfied. Um, so, so, he says he thinks lightly. Um, boiling thin slices of meat from the body is the best way to go about it in order to really savour the natural flavour of the meat Um, and it has to be a young beautiful woman. See this is what happens when there's no consequences. Yeah I mean I feel like he could have just you know not put Renee's body in a suitcase and maybe freeze her. So I do have pictures of this is Pang. That's not him now. This was probably him back in the 90s, hence the turtleneck and big glasses. Um, um, I think that's more him now. I don't know who that is, so I'd be a bit worried about her. Um, that was when he was a child, and this is Renee. Aww, poor thing. Poor family. I know. There wasn't much. I couldn't find much information about Renee. I think it was more. Did he ever marry or anything? No, he never got married. Um, and he says that's one of his regrets that he couldn't leave grandchildren for his parents. Well, you ate a human body and you got away with it. Yeah. So, you know. So that that's the Japanese cannibal story. Well, thank you. Well, uh, well, well, great. well, It was really sad for her and disgusting, <laughs> but it was good. Now, what facts do you have for us? Well, I have some facts, and because... I reckon the facts lately have been a bit too long. Okay. So I'm doing it really quick because they're not supposed to be another case. All right. I'm just going to give us just going to quick, 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 quick. Just going to smash us with this. Yeah, just some All right. facts. Yep. They are fun. You will get educated. We've got pointy fingers, though. That means fun. Okay. So cannibalism, for all that don't know, mm-hmm. is the act or practice of humans eating the flesh or internal organs of other human beings. So a person who practices cannibalism is called a cannibal. Or, <laughs> or, and I probably can't, I probably will not get this right, anthropopithecus. Anyway, you guys look it up. But some scholars have argued that no firm ev- evidence exists that cannibalism has ever been socially ex- an socially acceptable practice. So for all the new, the like, you know how the having your baby's placenta is a thing? Well, you're eating your own body. Like how people like the celebrities. Well, that's, oh, that's that would be cannibalism because no, it's, an it's inter- the other human. It's not your own. That's what cannibalism is. It defined as, but it's internal. Eating an other, but it's the other oh. human. 
You can well, eat bits of yourself, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what you want. It's your own body. Yeah. You can pick your nose. Well, there's people who pick your nose, it's fine. <laughs> in saying that, though, um, in some societies, especially tribal societies. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it normal? Uh, or well, it was normal until they got real sick? Um, cannibal, it is a cultural norm. Um, so consumption of a person within the same community is called endocannibalism. Um, so that's in, a, which, in a tribe? Yeah, so yeah. if you're in a tribe and you eat someone mm-hmm. of the same, it's endocannibalism. So ritual cannibalism of the recently deceased is seen as a part of the grieving process or seen as a way of guiding the soul of the dead into the bodies of the Into my belly. So, yeah, so it's either it's like a way that they get over grieving or going through the grieving process. <laughs> sure. And then, like, Is that like when you, like... You break up with someone and you go, like, I'm a bit sad, I'm going to eat a tub of ice cream. People are like, oh, someone's dead, I'm going to eat their body. Pretty much. Okay. Um, And it's also believed that ritual cannibalism was used as a means of predator control. So it's aiming to eliminate the predator and the scavenger across, like, access to the body. So instead of the bodies being... Oh, okay. Around. Yeah. They ate them so that the uh, yeah. Yeah, predators are around. Yeah, so the tiger doesn't... Yeah, them. makes sense so far. It makes sense. It's got no qualms. No qualms, all good? No, fine. Exocannibalism. Yep. Oh, that sounds bad. Is the consumption of a person from outside the community, and it's usually a celebration of a victory against a rival tribe. So it's just like Captain Cook. Pretty much. Did what? Yes. Captain Cook ate people? No, he got eaten. Oh. <laughs> Um, cannibalism has been well documented around the world, so from like Fiji to the Amazon, uh, Congo, and to the Maori people of New Zealand. Okay, so you've been yeah, watch out, ladies. Okay. <laughs> the first encounter of the Europeans involved the cannibalism of the Dutch sailor. Um, it's also believed to be practiced in the past in the Egyptians during ancient Egypt, Roman Egypt, and during famines such as the Great Famine of 1201 in Gloucestershire in the UK and in Colorado in the US. Would you do it if you were starving? Like, if I don't a- think you can – I don't think you – like, I would say no 100%, but then I don't think I know what it's like to be starving like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was still practised in, in Papua New Guinea as recently as 2012 for cultural reasons. I think it's just beliefs. Like, it's the same <laughs> what you were saying. Um, it's also occasionally been practiced as a last resort by people suffering from famine, such as the crash of crash of you you after which the survivors <laughs> ate the bodies of the dead passengers. Oh, so, so that's a hard place to be. There is, however, resistance to formally label cannibalism as a mental disorder, such as the cases of Jeffrey Dahmer and Albert Fish. Mm-hmm. Who have been classed, who were classed as being mentally ill when they committed homicidal cannibalism. Cannibalism features in folklore and legends of many cultures and is most often attributed to the evil character or as extreme retribution, retribution for some wrongdoings, such as Hansel and Gretel, who were kidnapped by a cannibalistic witch living in the forest. Um, William Arms, I think his name is, he was an author of a book which was entitled Man Eating Myth. Anthropology and anthropography. Which is another name for cannibalism. He questioned the credibility of reports of cannibalism and argued that the description of one group of people as cannibals is consistent, demonstrable ideological, 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 and rhetorical device to. Established perceived cultural superiority. So he basically, 
theorised that... Thought he was a bit superior with his work. <laughs> well, well, he... he I'm going to throw he, some. <laughs> no, he theorised that, like, like, you know, how, like, the explorers and missionaries and anthropologists believed that, you know, how, like, you, you've got, like, they were uncivilised. They were uncivilised. So he said that all the people that the explorers that went to these, like, lands and saw these people that had, like, partaking in cannibalism, that they were, like, um, that was, like, a means of going, okay, well, we're going to go and make you civilised and make you more cultured and stuff. So they, so their beliefs was actually to um, to say that, oh, you're a cannibalism, so I'm going to, like, colonise you. Right, and make you just. So, you, so they were using it as an excuse to go and colonize. Yeah, so they so in turn it was like it was prompting like their belief that by taking over a colony by like military force was acceptable because um, <laughs> they were doing that. They were pacifying the scavengers okay. and all of that kind of stuff. So it was justifying their actions. Basically. Okay. So yeah, got that out. Woo. Okay. So as mentioned previously, instances of cannibalism included ritual practices. In times of famine and criminal acts, but it also included war crimes that have occurred during the, both the 20th and the 21st centuries. So during Nazi Germany, the deliberate starvation of Soviet POWs led to many inc- incidents of cannibalism. That's another really shitty situation to be yeah, in, like so, in a concentration camp, <laughs> and you eat someone else. The thing I think your survival instincts just kick in, like I reckon it would, especially yeah. if you are. In a- in that plane crash. Yeah. And if That's you are, probably where dead, you would you look at someone's them. thigh and be like, mm, that looks delicious. Of course you would be. So what does human flesh taste like, I hear you ask? Mm. Well, yeah. in the early 1930s, a New York Times reporter, William Seabrook, obtained a chunk of human meat from a hospital in Seaborn of a healthy human killed in an accident. And he said, and I quote, pretty long quotes to bear with, <laughs> It was like good, fully developed veal, not young, but not yet beef. It was very definitely like that, and it was not like any other meat that I've ever tasted. It was so nearly like good, developed veal that I think no other person with a palate of ordinary, normal sensitiveness would distinguish from it from veal. It was meat, good meat, with no other sharply defined or highly characteristic taste, such as, for instance, goat, high game, or pork hat. The steak was slightly tougher than prime veal, a little stringy, but not too tough or stringy to be agreeably edible. The roast from which I cut and ate the central slice was tender and in colour, texture, smell, as well as taste, strengthened my certainty that that all meats we habitually know veal is the one meat that is we certainly comparable. Like <laughs> so just so you know, Seabrook was openly into practices of the occult, such as Satanism and voodoo. He was committed to a mental institution in 1933 for acute alcoholism and died after committing suicide by a drug overdose. Yeah. So there you go. There you Who go. gave him the meat done. in the first place? He got it from a hospital. So. Who just gave it away? So maybe it's somebody in a mortuary. I don't know. You pay you enough and you do creepy yeah. things to bodies. So he was like so he, he did it like a roast. He roasted it, yeah. So he actually, oh he actually cooked it. What's the photos you've got? Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so I have my first photo is a Finnish soldier showing the skin of a Russian soldier oh, eaten by the comrade. <laughs> no, this one's worse. And this one's, no, this one's worse. This one's a Russian famine as 1921. Oh, <laughs> the skin. That would be like the skin of that other case that we did, remember? So oh, yeah, where skinning. she like skinned him. 
And like hung him hung up. Hung him up, the police to go through. We wouldn't be very warm. That one's worse because that's got like half a body of a baby or a yeah. child. Oh. And a head. <laughs> she's not happy about it. Look at her face. Yeah, but she's hungry, man. They're in a famine. Oh. All right. So things like this. Things like this. And I go, you know what? If we become extinct. See, but that doesn't look, that looks to me like a big bat. That one. Yeah. That other one's worse. I don't yeah, I think that one's. What's happening? They're, they're in front of them is what they're eating, like the head, and is then this person body. still alive? No, well, they're dead. So. Well, he's sitting there like body. this. He's, he's pondering his life choices. <laughs> what is all of this? It's pretty good photography from the 1920s. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, that was me with my little facts about the cannibalism. People don't even look skinny. Like, <laughs> they've probably got, they've got, it's cold in Russia. I expect you to be quite thin if you have to eat your children. It's very cold. They oh. need something a bit more fatty to come, like, that will keep them warm. Oh, yuck. Thanks for putting up with my, my bushmail. That's all right. Let's kind of return to eating. You'll have okay. some berries or have some cake. Mine's a bit deep. Still cannibalism, but it's a bit, diff- bit different. I'm going to do Robert Picton. Have either of you heard of him? Mm-mm. Well, strap yourselves in. Strapped. <laughs> strap yourselves in. Okay, so his name was Robert William Picton, and he was born on the 24th of October in 1949 in Port Coquitlam in British Columbia. So, like, Canada. Canada. Yeah. Um, he had one brother, David, and one sister. I don't know what his sister's name was, but she's not in the story anyway. Um, so he, he came from pig farmers. So his family were pig farmers for three generations, and they owned a lot of land in British Columbia. I kind of think that if you're a pig farmer, you'd see a lot of slaughter. Yes, definitely. So they didn't have a lot of uh, standards. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the standards really. No, trust me, it's not. So they just let the pigs like roam around, and the pigs were allowed to come in the house. And, like, yeah. everywhere it was just, like, there was, yeah. They were... Rightly judged. Yeah. They, they were, were very free-range. Uh-huh. <laughs> very free-range. So the, daughter, so the daughter, the dad didn't believe that the daughter should be around that environment, so she went to live with other relatives and just... <laughs> it's fine boys. for everyone else, but not for my daughter. I bet he just not put her in that. Trust me, I reckon he saw his wife and was like, I don't want that, my daughter being like that. Did she, she have no teeth? Grace. I don't know. She was just <laughs> Did she have no teeth? Um... <laughs> So the mum was like the hard one as well and she worked the two boys from when they were really young. So they were working really hard and she didn't bathe them and they were really stinky. So she treated them like pigs. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah. So anyway, so they got teased at school for being really smelly. People called them like stinky piggies. Um, And they... Uh, hated school and so they regularly would skip school they'd actually leave for the like school bus or whatever and then they'd come sneak back home and then sleep under their like bed all day and then be like oh we went to school because they hated going to school so much as you would if you were being but i don't know there's surely a smarter way to do that have a bath well no like you don't have to catch the bus all the way to school yeah, I know, but I think when you're young, like, back. you don't. No, I don't think they caught the – they walked out as oh, they were okay. and then they walked back home. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think the mother really cared <laughs> no, no. to bother. So at some stage when Robert was young, he got a calf. I don't know if it was he bought it or there was, like, a cow that had a baby. Anyway, he was obsessed with the calf, so basically he really bonded with the calf and he was, like, feeding it every day. Why are you looking at me? Oh, <laughs> I don't think Watching he, in amazement. I don't think he had a relationship with his mum. Where he was, <laughs> Sorry. Why are you looking at 
<laughs> he got a cow instead. It's true. Anyways, he was like feeding it and loving it, and he went and patted it. And then every day when he got home from school, oh, he, he was like, it. "Where's the calf? <laughs> Did the calf have a name? Mm, no, not that I know. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. um, I love it. You just, mm, I can't even because I know I'm so shit at looking after Whatever. Really, I, just go, whatever. I do. I give her a home. Like it's like I look after a disabled child. I deserve. <laughs> It's like a medal. Anyway, oh, she vomited on my books the other day. I, I, her. I went and sat down, had my dinner, she's next to me. And I'm like, for oh, fuck's sake, Billy. And then she didn't vomit it. I'm like, oh, she's not going to vomit. And then it was all over my textbooks. Okay, that's the shit that I have to put up with. Well, I bet you this mother of these poor babies. No, I just cleaned up her vomit and that's all I did. But the, I bet you the mother of these poor babies thought the same thing. No, she sounds like a freak. She raised them to be weird. Billy's just weird by herself, and I still love her. It's all parents' fault. Anyway. Is it not Hannah? Yeah, it is. Maybe yeah. Billy's doing that out of, like, retribution. Like no, she just eats biscuits really fast. Because she doesn't know when the next meal's <laughs> coming. No, and she loves the biscuits more than she loves wet food. I give her both. I give her both. It's her one joy in life, biscuits. <laughs> I'll film it one day. I'll put the food out. You can watch her go to the biscuits. She loves them. Anyway, so one day Robert came home and he went to go feed his calf and it wasn't there. And he said, Mum, where's the calf? And she said, we'll go out to the shed. And he went out there to where they slaughtered the animals and someone had killed the calf. Oh, no. The oh. so psychologists basically say this is really, like, this is, like, obviously this is the turning when you're very young and he already didn't oh. have that. But that probably was him showing love to something and do you know what I mean? Like and you just some killed kind of connection it. and you just killed it. And so he Did was he just, his mother. Pardon? Did he his no, mother? he took care of his mum till she died. Um anyway, uh at about fourteen he quit school and he started an apprenticeship as a butcher and he did that for four years and then basically just ended up working back on the farm. Like obviously Yeah, butch is probably not the best career choice <laughs> for someone who's Probably not. Just seen their cow die. I think he was just on that road anyway. But he knows how to cut up a bit of meat. Yeah, so he mm. obviously learnt how to butcher meat. Well, he's a third generation pig farmer. Um, so during this time, he actually hit somebody with his car. He hit a boy with his car. And he, the boy was like pretty badly injured, but he didn't stop. And he went straight home, told his mum. And his mum is like, okay, you need to go get the car fixed straight away. I know what to do, don't worry. And so his mum goes to where the kid got hit, finds the boy in the road and rolls him into a ditch filled with water and the kid drowned. Oh, and so he was alive. Alive. And then, but just couldn't move, obviously. Yeah, and then when police found him, they're just like, oh, it got ruled as an accident and no one got in any trouble. So it also, like, again, psychologists, when they look at his case and him, they're like, it, it was just a breeding ground for him to, to, like, basically teaching him that there's no... There's no consequence for your actions. You can get away with this Or someone will clean it up for you. 100%. And then if your parents, they're the ones that are supposed to teach you that that is not wrong, what's wrong and what's right. And obviously the parents are just like, oh, if you can get away with it, get away with it. You know? So Mm -hmm. he was just not, he didn't have, I mean. Boundaries. Yeah. I mean, people come from a lot worse and don't do the things that he did. Well, that's right. He was was dropped, wasn't he? He was dropped as a child. I don't think he's, I I was thinking about it too. I was like, imagine his mum with babies. You know what I mean? She'd like, be quite rough. Yeah, it's like they require so much care, and I just can't imagine her even giving two shits about. She like, wasn't a very delicate woman. No, no. 
Basically, the parents got quite sick and they passed away in the 1970s. So I think at this time, Robert was the one who was just taking care of them as well. And they died within months of each other, I'm pretty sure. And then the, all the siblings inherited the family farm. The sister pretty much didn't want anything to do with it. And so Robert and David decided to sell off a large portion of the land and got about $2 million for it. And they kept six and a half acres for the pig farm and just continued to raise a few pigs and sell them each to friends and neighbours and the local butcher. So <clears throat> effectively, it didn't need to be a full-time business. They had a bit of money from selling the land. Like he They could do what they wanted. They wanted. So they registered a non-for-profit charity called the Piggy Palace Good Time Society <laughs> with the Canadian government in 1996, um, claiming to organise, coordinate, manage and operate special events, functions, dances, shows and exhibitions on behalf of service organisations, sports organisations and other worthy groups. So basically they had raves and wild parties at the at Piggy Palace, Um Featuring Vancouver sex workers and the gatherings <laughs> in a converted slaughterhouse on the farm. The events attracted as many as 2,000 people and it was members of like Hells Angels were known to frequent there. So there's a lot of <clears throat> speculation around that. Not really speculation. They're just like, yeah, they basically, there's no way they were collecting money for good causes. They were just funding. Yeah, that's not a charitable parties. cause like, to have just, like an orgy. Yeah, they were charging an entry fee and then that's how, yeah. It was the Piggy Palace. <laughs> piggy Palace. So even as an adult, Robert was described as a socially awkward man who sometimes exhibited strange behaviours. And again, he was still really unkept. He smelt and he didn't bathe regularly. Mm -hmm. So he just kept up the same. He's now working at the Piggy Palace, so he's probably got all the smell from that. I just don't know how you could go there, but anyway. Okay, so just a little bit of background into, uh, like, Vancouver in the 1980s and 90s. So the downtown east side was a really seedy, crime-ridden warren of cheap hotels, block houses, warehouses and drug dens. It was the home of street gang, biker gang members, drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes. On a documentary I watched, uh, this guy and there was just like, it was pretty much... Mount Druitt. No, it's like it was the worst. Like, like he's like, there's really not anything you could compare it to. Oh, he's really? like, it was really bad, really bad. I always thought... Canada is a nice little place. Nah, not this part, apparently. Okay. I don't think it's as bad now, but um, back then it was really terrible. It's bad spots everywhere. We'll have to just travel there to check it out. Mm. Um, so a large percentage of the girls and women engaged in the sex trade had addiction problems. Others were mentally ill and 80% came from Vancouver. Uh, and some had no contact with their families for years and many were Indigenous women. Uh, the acts of violence against them were frequent. They were subject to robberies, beatings, kidnappings, and forced confinement. And there was a profound distrust of police and other authorities. Many of the women believed uh, lived alone and were known acquaintances, uh, known to acquaintances only by their street names. So it meant that downtown Eastside was a perfect hunting ground for an urban predator. So it's really sad. You know, it, it, you just look back. There was. A guy who did a um, photography, he won, like, these awards for doing this art installation thing where he took photos, like, all black and white photos of um, a lot of the prostitutes in Vancouver at that time. It's just, like, so sad. Like, And some of the stories, um, if you want to listen to more about this story, um, Canadian True Crime is a really good podcast to listen to. And she, she splits it up over three different episodes and she goes into the victims, which I'm not doing because there's a lot. But it's actually just so sad. You're like, these people, came, like, some of these people came from normal families and just ran away and then just got addicted to drugs. Like, that's all it takes. You know what I mean? It's not that 
they have so bad and then they've got these addictions and they do you know what I mean like it's like they're just about getting high so then they're into the sex like in yeah they're not trash you know but Mm. it was just really sad because it was a very common thing in that area back then so basically Picton became familiar with the area because he would go to rendering plants that were located around there that he would put the uh, animal waste from the farm so he cruised the 10-block strip called the Low Track and he would offer women money and drugs and those he enticed into his vehicle were taken to the pig farm. So in the beginning, women didn't mind going with him as he would give them as much drugs as they wanted, but apparently like even the sex workers didn't want to sleep with him because he was so unkept and so disgusting. Oh, that <laughs> must be bad. bad. <laughs> That's pretty bad. And obviously he couldn't, like it wasn't happening for him on a level that wasn't hiring a prostitute because he was so gross. <laughs> anyway, so he know these. He does saying. know, but I just think... I just think for some people they don't they live in such filth that it's yeah. not a concept. So it's probably don't they're not clean. I don't know. Like they just don't. Especially like if, if he hasn't had that since he was like a kid. Like yeah, but people that are around smell don't smell. No, they don't smell that smell anymore. No, they don't. But also, but if somebody was telling you that you were, you would think as a normal person you're like, oh shit, I better clean myself up. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, but if he's I'm gonna gross, go and eat, but mm-hmm. he's obviously not normal. Well. Did he eat people, though? I don't know. Yeah. What is John's story? So, anyway, so basically he became – so also at this time a lot of the women uh, would encourage each other to go with him because he would give drugs and basically, like, it was a free-for-all. Like, And the thing is he would never take the drugs himself either. So, he like, he was pretty cashed up and, yeah, so he yeah. was just – To would, buy that amount of drugs, you have to be. <laughs> so people would be around him just for that reason, you know. Um, anyway, so he basically became sexually frustrated and eventually he picked up a 14-year-old girl who was hitchhiking and raped her at knife point um, and then he just kicked her out of the car and it seemed to satisfy him for a few years. So I'm pretty sure it was like a 10-year period or something oh, that wow. they don't think he was active. He just was doing his thing at the Piggy Palace and just being a creeper. Anyway, basically in the 1990s, um, a lot of their Vancouver sex workers began to go missing on a regular basis. Um, women were reported missing to police regularly, but because of the marginal lifestyles and transient habits of the victims and other people in downtown Eastside, disappearances often went unnoticed. What was um, that podcast that we listened to about that Indigenous Canadian? Um, missing oh, yeah. Moira Murray. Yeah. Moira Murray. Yeah. Um, Canadians just have so much true crime. Like, they do. It's messed up. It's kind of like Australia, though. Like, we have, like... Crazy criminals here too. Um, It was like the Highway of Tears, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so people, It's and it's really sad, and again, um, Canadian True Crime goes into detail really well about a lot of the victims and Mm -hmm. how many times these people's friends tried to report them missing and the police were just like, look, like they're They're a prostitute. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you want us to do? That's like the um, Long Island serial killer. It was, um, they targeted like the on... um, the online kind of prostitutes, like people on Craigslist mm. and that kind of stuff, police are just like, eh, well, it was their choice to go there. And, you yeah, know, that's what they said. They're they, like, well, they're these people are like nomadic, so, you know, they're not necessarily dead, but then they turned up like 10 years later dead. Mm. Don't it's, get don't get into sex work, people. Well, it's really, it's a very dangerous line of work, I guess, but people got to do what they got to do. Okay, so on March, 22nd of March in 97, picked and put, uh, <laughs> a woman Picton had taken to the farm fought back when he attempted to handcuff her. So she seized a kitchen knife and he had a knife and both of them were just stabbing each other. Like she got free of the 
the thing to she didn't lock her up but they were basically just stabbing each other so she ran onto the road and waved down a car whose occupants called an ambulance and she was taken to the hospital so while she was undergoing surgery Picton also went to the hospital and was receiving treatment for his injuries and an orderly found a key in his pocket that fit the handcuff on her wrist so he was arrested and charged with attempted murder assault with a weapon and forcible confinement but basically they, she had to go to trial and she was terrified of him and she also knew that when she goes to trial, like he was saying that she attacked him and all this stuff and she's a drug addict. Like she she knows what's going to happen. Mm. He could afford lawyers. She couldn't. She didn't want to testify. So it just got dropped. The charges just got dropped. Um, in 99, an informant gave information about a story they heard from a woman. So there was a woman, I think her name was Lynn, and she lived at the, well, didn't live there, but she was there all the time. She was friends with him. So she told people this story, and then somebody who'd heard this story told the police. So she said she found a body hanging in Picton's slaughterhouse. Anyway, and she, the police tracked her down, and she's like, no, I didn't see anything. And then later on, she had actually admitted that, yes, she, she did see it. So she was terrified of him as well and didn't want to what's it called, didn't want to um, testify and she was dependent on him for money and drugs and the same thing. So he had a lot of people in his circle that kind of were happy to keep quiet because he was giving them, during supporting their lifestyle. Yeah. Within the same year, Bill Hiscox, a man who worked for the Pictons, informed the police that he'd heard stories about women's clothing and possessions laying around the farm. He believed they were the property of some of the missing women, but police, again, couldn't obtain a search warrant because the evidence was hearsay. So in 2001, the Vancouver Police and the RCMP formed Project Even-Handed, a joint task force to investigate the missing women. So by this stage, there was, I think it was like 68 women missing. Did they have him as a suspect? He, a few people had called in. And, okay. And he was on the suspect list, but there was a lot of other people too. Okay. So in early February 2002, Scott Chubb, formerly employed by the Picton family as a truck driver, informed the RCMP, which is the Canadian. Canadian Mounted Police, yeah, that he'd personally seen illegal guns in Picton's trailer home. So because he'd seen it, that they could get a search warrant. That's the so thing. he lived in a trailer? He lived in a trailer on the farm. Uh, all my old trailers here. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, that. wait till you see the photo. Yeah, so because this guy had gone in and said, yep, I've seen the guns, that they could get a search warrant. So uh, on the 5th of February in 2002, they raided the pig farm. In addition to several illegal and unregistered guns, they found items connecting missing women to the property. So I think one of the things they found that they were dead sure of was like there was a puffer that had the girl's name on it that she'd been missing for years, you know, things like that. And there was all kinds of stuff they found, all kinds of belongings, but obviously that was like, yes, that is mm-hmm. hers. Um, so Picton was arrested on weapons charges and then released on pale. He was kept under surveillance and not permitted to return to the pig farm while police conducted a thorough search under a second warrant. So among the evidence they discovered were handcuffs, women's clothing and shoes, jewellery and an asthma inhaler prescri- prescribed to Serena Abbott's waist. It's one of the missing women. Um, DNA testing of blood found in the motor home and on the property proved that to be the DNA of Mona Wilson, who's another woman that was missing at the time. On the 22nd of February, Picton was rearrested and charged with two counts of murder, so with those two women, um, and eventually he got a total of 26 murder charges laid on him. Um, so when he was being held in jail, and there's actually uh, videos of this on YouTube, he uh, shared a cell with an undercover RCMP officer he believed to be another detainee, and in the course of their conversation, he said he murdered 49 women and he wanted to make it an even 50. So he's, like, literally just eating a bowl of spaghetti on eggs, and he's like... Like, but he is an idiot. Like, come on, man. Why are you admitting this stuff in the cell? Like, (laughs) 
Anyway, so while he's in jail, the pig farm became the lightest crime scene in Canadian history. Investigators took 200,000 DNA samples and seized 600,000 exhibits. Archaeologists and forensic experts needed heavy equipment to sift through 383,000 cubic yards of soil in search of human remains. The cost of the investigation was estimated at nearly $70 million. That would be messy and disgusting work on pig farm. (laughs) In addition to mounds of evidence, including hundreds of items of personal effects from missing women, they discovered blood-covered chopping blocks, tufts of hair, and bloodied articles of clothing. As they dug deeper throughout the property, the full scale of the horror was revealed. The half-devoured remains of six women were discovered. Their mutilated bodies had been fed to the pigs, the brothers raised on the farm. And in the pig pen, police discovered human bones and even a half-eaten arm. Buried under the barn, police found more human remains and officers left the scene retching and many were traumatised by the pure evil of what they found. There was like, I think they found like some bucket of this woman's head, like there was like half oh. gone and like had their foot feet. So they just had like things just laying around. They just, just threw it. They just fed it to the pigs. Um, Did they feed it to themselves? So... Um, excavations at the farm continued for another year and it was difficult for police to recover more evidence because most of the victims had been consumed by pigs. However, some evidence of human flesh being ground up and mixed with pork was discovered in Picton's freezer. Picton was known to sell his meat to local butchers, friends, families, and even the local police. Oh. So they had to, Canadian, like, um, the health department of Canada oh, had to like issue a thing of being like, yeah. like, cause it was just, it's not just that they think that he grounded up the meat, it's, they used a mincer for, like, he obviously used a mincer for the body. Cross-contamination. Huge cross-contamination. Like, they just, yeah. So, anyway, nobody, because it had been years, nobody still had meat. Like, From no one came meat. forward yeah. to test meat, but they did find it in his freezer that it had been mixed and their bodies were in there. So, there's even, like, a story, this, one, this like, one family of one of the women, they were like, Mama, I think we ate her. Like, it's not <laughs> funny, but, like, imagine that shit. Like, you're like... That you ate, like, your daughter. Yeah, that's bad. So, Picton's preliminary hearing was in 2003 and lasted for six months. Due to the unprecedented size and complexity of legal issues that had to be litigated, his trial on the first six charges didn't begin until the 22nd of January. So, the judge also split his trial in two, I'm pretty sure. He wanted it in two parts because it was so complex. And that way, if they can't convict him on one, they can convict him on another. Well, yeah. Um, but at the same time, they're not I presenting. I don't think they find it difficult to Wait. Oh. They're not presenting all the evidence oh. on everyone. Okay, so it yeah. Looks, it, it, it looks bad, don't get me wrong, but six compared to 26 is a bit, yeah. you know. Anyway, um, during the trials, police lab staff were able to testify that the DNA of 80 people, including both men and women, were found ground up in the dirt, in pork, and in blood samples taken from around the farm. Investigators were able to present a 22 rifle with a dildo on the barrel, which contained the DNA of both Picton and some of the missing women. Would also, they have had to put the pigs down? I don't know. Because they've been eating, like, human flesh. Well, they can't be killed. Like, I don't know what they would have done with them. Like, it's a bit like mad cow disease and that kind of stuff. These pigs could be yeah. diseased. Yeah, they also found several syringes filled with antifreeze, along with a videotape of Picton bragging that the best way to kill a prostitute was to inject her with antifreeze. So he also said that in the cell. So his defence team, so remember he had money, so he could afford a good defence team. They worked hard to poke holes in the witness testimony. So the the woman that lived at his house um, did come forward and testify, and a few more people who had seen things, but um, 
yeah, the, his defense basically just te- tore their reputations apart. They were like, well, they're a drug addict and mm. this is inconsistent and they mm. say this and you know what I mean? So it was really hard. Um, they also convinced the jury that Robert was too dim-witted to kill the women on his own. Um, and on the 9th of December, he was found guilty by a jury on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to life. So the jury basically believed that he didn't intend to kill, you know, the second degree, which is like how, like, I, anyway, I have no idea. But it was apparently really hard. The judge also released a, like a press, what is it, where you can't statement? You've got to, you're not allowed to release the details. No, I called something else. Um, because so many people knew about the case because all these families, that like all these people went to the court to go. Like a, s- a sealed indictment or something. I don't know what it's called, but no, a press release. Like they're not allowed to, yeah, a lot of the information wasn't allowed to get out because they, it was really hard for them to find a jury that wasn't biased. Oh, so a bit like George Pell, Cardinal George Pell at the moment. Sure. Which we're not actually allowed to say. I don't know about it anyway. <laughs> there you go. There's a gag order. <laughs> And the Australian media can't report it, but every other international news outlet could. So when we're in New Zealand, um, it was all over the newspapers there, but then you go to the Australian websites or anything and they're not allowed to say it. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole story that people in Australia don't know about, but the rest of the world was making major headlines. How weird for us not to know. Yeah. We still stupid. Okay, so although Pete didn't claim to have murdered 49 women, he was only charged with the murders of 26 Ah, I just copied that from something else. Anyway, so basically after he was convicted of the six charges, British Columbia Crown prosecutors kept open the possibility of trying him on the other 20 at a later date. But on the 4th of August 2010, prosecutors announced they would not proceed with the the other 20 charges, saying that a second trial, even if further convictions were achieved, would not add anything to his punishment, which was already the maximum possible under the law. The decision, about that, though, I know. Yeah. the decision angered some of the families of the 26 victims and pleased others who said they were relieved at being spared the experience of another long and difficult trial. Uh, in 2010, a provincial government inquiry was established to examine the Picton case and how it was handled by authorities. In 2012, the Missing Women Commission of Inquiry issued its final report titled Forsaken. The inquiry said blatant failures by police, including inept criminal investigative work compounded by police and societal bias against prostitutes and Indigenous women, had led to a tragedy of epic proportion. The inquiry issued 63 recommendations, including the creation of a Greater Vancouver Regional Police Force to allow for more effective, less fragmented police cooperation. It also called for the adequate funding for emergency shelters for women in the sex trade and for compensation for children of the missing women. Yeah, so a lot of these women had kids. Aww. It's really sad. So that's it. That's the story. And do we have pictures? I have a picture of him. He was so freaking disgusting. And that's all the women that are missing. Oh, he's got flannel. Yeah, I'm sure that flannel's holding a lot of stink in it too. Yeah. Mm. He was so gross. He had like his ball. Well, he has a type, I suppose. They're all dark-haired, like long dark hair. I guess Oh, this one blonde. Yeah, but they, she would probably be blonde. But are they natural blondes? I don't know. It's just so sad. Like, look how young she is. Mm-hmm. Not that they know. That's like a school photo. They don't know that all these women, but like these other women that were missing around that time. So is he still alive? Yeah. Well, he only got convicted in like 2000. Well, he could have still died. No, he's <laughs> still alive. Or something. He's still alive. He'll be... He was born in 49. So 70 next year. He's not getting out. 
But yeah, I just feel sorry for like, like it would just really suck if your if your loved one was caught up in that, and it's just yeah. like, well, where's the justice? Like, and also because it's such a like the crime scene had been contaminated so many times, mm. and trying to sift through that and. You, it's almost like you individually don't get to grieve. Like it's almost yeah. like there's all these other women that as a whole you have to kind of share your grief with them. Yeah, they do though. Actually, it's really beautiful. They had like a like a vigil and everything yeah. and I think they all um, support each other. Mm-hmm. But he is a complete... Well, that was a good one because that was like unknown cannibalism. Yeah, and it was, can- it was cannibalism that people were partaking in that they had no idea. It's like that Spanish... Trio today that got busted. Oh yeah, tell us about that because I don't really. I yeah, know. I don't know the names, but I know that they Teresa. got they got um, done for killing and then putting the meat of the victim in pastries and stuff and selling it. It's a, it is a good way to get rid of the evidence. That's like my favorite role doll story. What? Tell us favorite ever. I've haven't you heard this? Oh, no. Oh, okay. It's where. The lady goes out to the shops, goes and buys a leg of lamb, comes back, kills the husband, bangs him over the head with the leg of lamb, puts it in the oven, goes back out to the shop to get something else that she'd forgotten and is still acting all normal, and then comes back and goes, oh, no, my husband's dead. Please come over. And they're investigating. They're going, oh, we can't see a murder weapon. And they're going, oh, well, I've got dinner here. Do you guys want to have dinner? And they go, sure. And then they eat the the murder murder weapon. weapon. Loved that story growing up. <laughs> my favourite ever Roald Dahl story. Right, My favourite Roald Dahl story is My Uncle Oswald, which is like one of his adult, like not children's oh, books. That sounds pretty adult too, I have to say. <laughs> That's a kid's book. Though. I'm not sure about that. I don't know if I'd be reading that to my kids. Well, in the original Charlie. It's like short stories. Um, they were short stories. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the kids just die. That's true, they do just die, don't they? they do. Um, I also hated The Witches. Um... Uh, have we selected for next time? Cults next that year? kill. Cults that kill. I don't remember the one I wanted to Cults do. Cults that kill. Yeah. Oh, okay. heaven's gate. Maybe I'll do Waco. You're doing fun facts. Oh shit. <laughs> okay, Which is well, the one that had the recent Netflix? Waco. Oh, oh no, it was Stan. SBS. Okay, SBS. SBS. Waco's SBS. Waco, and yeah. for anybody who hasn't watched it, I'd watch it. I thought it was really good. Okay. I watched the beginning. I need I to it watch it. Really good. I was like. Like, I don't actually know whose side I was on. Seriously. No, you have to watch it. I'm not on their side because it's not – what he was doing was a bit weird. I saw how people got sucked into it. I did see how people – because he actually had, like, is it theologians? Is that how you say theologians. it? Theologians. This is the Branch Davidians, isn't yes. it? Yeah. He had theologians on his – like, people saying that they had seen miracles from him and that he could interpret the Bible – and, um, like, the Old Testament or something in a way that nobody else could, that these people had been – I don't even know. Anyway, it was really interesting. I don't think that the Bible means interpretation. No, it was actually – it is. It's like a passage that people struggle to interpret. But the way that he did it was really interesting. Anyway, and so this – it was this one guy that got converted who was, um, you know, just – he was a lecturer at a university, like he was a professor, and he seemed so normal, the characters that played him. Um, and he converted heaps of other people came on board because of him because they were like, wow, this, there's really something about this. And you really do like the character, the main guy. In well, he's very charismatic. Very charismatic. Mm-hmm. And then it, towards the end you see the breaks in his character. and you. Because I really think that if you're a cult leader, you've got to be charismatic. 100%. But he was also mm, very – Some that aren't. 
Oh yeah, the guy from Hempgate was weird, but he was like it was uh, D and Toe. Yeah, no, no, T and Toe. Alex has never seen seen Sound of Music when I was so when I was explaining there's like Do and T and he, he I'm like you know like from Sound of Music and he's like I have no idea what you're talking about. He's not gonna watch it though. No. I don't blame him. Um, Sound of Music. Yeah, if you miss it, you miss it. Like yeah. don't rewatch that when you're older. No. You've got to be a fan or not a There's fan. also – because Waco happened around, happened around the same time as Ruby Ridge, which is a very similar one. So, well, anyway, poor Ruby Ridge didn't make the The government just got involved and it's like, seriously, they weren't doing anything. I mean, you can't just set up your own society to do whatever you want. Like a stockpile of weapons and stuff. Well, you can in Texas. Like, Well, it's, it's difficult. The laws are difficult. They were difficult because you're allowed to protect your own property. You are, but you don't need more than a gun. Mm, no, because I think there was a lot of people living there. I think there was. There well, was it was also people. like, why should the government be allowed to come onto your property if you're being peaceful? Like, yeah, like they shot someone's wife. The first thing, this is according to the the thing, yeah. the yeah movie. It wasn't them anyway. It was the um, tobacco, guns, and firearms, or whatever it is. Yeah, they come in. Yeah, it land. was them who first made the the first shot, and they were they like shot someone's wife that was in the thing, just like uh, trying to shoot the, the men and then they got their wife and it's like And wasn't it like with the fire them. as well, there was like a question of how that started. Towards the end so the guy who was trying to get them to come out was like, even he was like, this isn't right, what we're doing like the mm. and, but they had the army involved and they were like, you know, we can't we can't lose face in front of America like we are supposed to fix mm. this situation like we can't show them that we can solve this and we can get these people out. They're going to lose. I don't know. You just put all these different sides of the story. And then in the end that he was coming out, he just had to write a manifesto, manifesto which is like, of course you do. And he, and he was writing it and they just were like, not like, so the guy who was on the phone who was trying to communicate with him, they just fired him and they just brought tear gas in. Mm. And they tear gassed the place. And then they, when they were tear gassing it, they, what they, drove into the building Tanks. yeah mm. it would collapse because mm-hmm. they all went into the cellar yeah. with the kids and it collapsed and they got trapped and then a fire started although on one of the um yeah it was like did it start from the inside or well yeah. there's a radio show that goes into it on like a you know it's like 2gb like the equivalent of whatever anyway like talking about conspiracies and stuff mm. and the guy was going over all the different all the different showdowns that have happened between the fbi and like you know, other radical groups or whatever, and when they tear gassed it, and he went through like ten or twelve that he's like tear gas, fire, tear gas, fire, tear gas, fire. He's like, cover it up. yeah. Who knows? You know what I mean? But I was like, it's it was really sad because they all fucking died. Mm. Like you're just like, holy shit, they all. And it was kids as well. There was kids. There were. It was really sad. And you're just like, wow. Like, you know, wasn't he like a pedo as well? No. So they're actually so. They cannot find any reports of anybody saying that they um, they're all dead. That they so all they no, there's, there's people that left the Before. thing, and then a lot of the kids because they did leave some of the kids. They let some of the kids out, yeah. and obviously people would, you know, ask them about their experience in there, even as adults. The kids all seem normal. They were all like, "Yeah, it's from a lot of you got to watch it because you think." It is crazy. Well, I guess we're not covering Waco. No, sorry. It's <laughs> a little mini Waco. We've got to cut this out because this is a, we're already going way too long <laughs> on our podcast. It's just eighty minutes. <laughs> anyway, Cult, <laughs> cults, cults that kill. Cults that kill in the new Next year. Time. See you later. Hi, Jessica. Oh.
Yes, Joseph. Hey. Merry Christmas, Joseph. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Merry Christmas. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye. See you Have in 2019. Bye. Did you enjoy this episode? To help support How Not to Die, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're feeling extra generous, you can also donate to our coffee account. That's K O F I, How Not to Die podcast. Thanks for listening.